As you heard in our Advent this morning, the focus is on joy. The angel came to the shepherd and said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angel went on to tell the shepherds that the Savior, uh, Christ the Lord, had been born in the city of David in, in Bethlehem. The coming of Jesus Christ into our world was good news of great joy. But the good news didn't stop with His coming. It continued throughout His life. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. One of Jesus' purpose was to preach good news to the, uh, of the kingdom of God. He also trained His disciples to do the same. Luke 9, 6 says, And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel, the good news, and healing everywhere. The gospel is a message that is to be proclaimed. Jesus emphasized the importance of proclaiming this message. In Matthew 24, 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Before the end comes, the gospel must be proclaimed throughout the world. And then after his death and his resurrection, Jesus commands his disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Clearly, the good news, the gospel, that's what the gospel means, good news. Clearly, the gospel is an important message for great joy to be proclaimed to all peoples. But what is the gospel? What is the good news that brings great joy? The book of Mark begins with, with this verse. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel, the good news, is of Jesus Christ. It's the good news about Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. In fact, we call all four of uh, the biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the the Gospels, the good news. They record Jesus' birth, his, his life, his teachings, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. So in one sense, the Gospel is contained in the Gospels. The Gospels are the Gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. But in another sense, the whole Bible contains, is the Gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, we've seen as we've been walking through God's Word over this past year, it's all pointing to Jesus. It points to the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I've shared this simple outline of the entire Bible before. Remember, uh, I'll share it again with you. Remember, the Old Testament is preparation for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospels are the, the manifestation, the actual coming of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The epistles, those are the, the letters from Paul and others to the churches and individuals. The epistles are the explanation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, that's the, the culmination of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we read through the Bible, the Gospel of Jesus Christ becomes clearer. It's like when you go to an eye doctor. Have you ever been to an eye They puff your eyes now. They used to not do that. I don't know. Uh, 
but they put that thing in front of you and they flip those dials trying to get, get it to be clear, trying to find your correct prescription. If you're young and have never experienced that, whatever, you know. It becomes a normal thing now. So you're sitting there and they're changing the lenses, trying to clear your vision. In the Old Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a a little bit blurry. It's hinted at, it's promised, it's pictured in many ways. The law, the sacrificial system. But it gets a little clearer as you read on in the Old Testament. But there's still a lot of mystery. In the gospels, when Jesus appears... Uh, we get a lot of focus. It just psh, the focus comes in. We can clearly see that the gospel centers around Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one promised from the Old Testament. It's all revealed in Christ. The gospels is where the gospel happens. Then in the book of Acts, we we see that the gospel is to be proclaimed to all peoples. As Paul and Peter and others go forth, they proclaim the gospel to the nations. We read their gospel presentations and our focus becomes even clearer. And then we come to the epistles, the letters to the churches, to individuals. The epistles are are the explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They clear up misconceptions. They give direction about how we are to live based on the gospel. This is where it comes into complete focus, I think. We can see the gospel of Jesus Christ in the epistles 2020 vision. Finally, Revelation, uh, we go beyond the 2020. It's kind of like having x-ray vision, looking into the future. We can see how the gospel of Jesus Christ will impact uh, all the peoples for all eternity. Now, if you're reading along with this in our uh, Through the Bible plan, you know that in recent weeks we've been reading through the epistles, the, the letter, the explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this week... We read through the book of Romans. Now all the epistles are important. All the epistles are part of the inspired word word of God. All of the epistles give us insight into the gospel. So calling one better than the rest is is in some ways uh, foolish. But many throughout church history have seen Romans as the greatest of the epistles. It's been called the greatest letter ever written. Martin Luther in his commentary on Romans wrote, This epistle, Romans, is is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel and is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word by word, by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. Of Romans, John Calvin said, when one gains knowledge of this epistle, he's an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures of Scripture. Bible translator William Tyndale wrote of Romans, it is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament. No man can read it too oft or study it too well. For the more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is. The more it is searched, the preciouser things are found. The book of Romans has certainly impacted the lives of many, myself included. Its pages are filled with uh, wisdom and instruction comfort and, and guidance from the Lord. And so today, as we, as we come to this divinely inspired gift from God, my main purpose this morning is to inspire us and motivate us to personally dig in to this epistle, this book, this letter, 
And to do that, I want to I want to get, just give you an overview of the first half of the book. It's 16 chapters. We're only going to look at the first eight. Because in these first eight chapters, we find what I believe is the clearest, completest, deepest, widest, best explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that explanation of the gospel flows from the purpose of the book of Romans. Romans was written by uh, the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Paul was the Apostle uh, God-chosen, road to Damascus, Apostle to the Gentiles. And at the end of the book, uh, chapter 15, near the end, he writes, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. His goal was to take the gospel to peoples who had never heard of the gospel. Never heard of Christ. And in his day, there were many peoples in, in Spain who had never heard of Christ. Now fortunately, we've sent J.D. and uh, the Leatherwoods to Spain now, and so that's, that's still not... T- There's still people in Spain. That's why we have people still in Spain today telling people about Christ. But even in Paul's day, he needed to go to Spain. The gospel hadn't been heard there. So in Romans 15.24, we read... Paul writing to the church, I hope to see you in passing, passing through, as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So he's planning to head up to Rome, and from Rome, go to Spain, hang out in Rome for a little while, his destination is Spain. Paul's purpose for writing to the church in Rome was to enlist their support, and to be helped on my journey there by you, to enlist their support in his mission to Spain. Now, most of Paul's letters, uh, Philippians, Galatians, Corinthians, Thessalonians, were written as instructions and follow-up to churches that Paul himself had founded, that he had started. So much of what we find in these epistles is follow-up to Paul's missionary journeys. He's been there once, maybe twice. Paul giving correction, instruction to churches he's founded, encouragement in places where he's already preached the gospel. However, Paul had never been to Rome. Tradition says that the Apostle Peter founded the church there, but others say it was started by Christians who fled uh, Jerusalem after the persecution. But in either case, Paul didn't know the Christians in Rome, and they didn't know him. And he wanted their support for his mission. So in in this letter, he's introducing himself to them, and more importantly than introducing himself, he's introducing the gospel that he preaches. I remember when uh, Christine and I were raising support to take the gospel to to Thailand. Most of the people who supported us knew us, went to church with us, knew what we believed, but there was one potential supporting church that didn't. So they invited us to come. They invited us to introduce ourselves to them. They, they asked me to preach. We had meetings with them. They asked us questions. They wanted to get to know our message, us and our message, before they supported our, our mission. Same thing with Paul. He knows that before the church in Rome will support his mission, they need to know who he is, what he's about. They need to know his message. And so he writes this amazing letter of introduction. This unprecedented explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is clearly seen in the theme of the book, the theme of Romans, found in uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. 
Paul writes, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And how does believing in the gospel bring salvation? Verse 17 explains. For it is in it, the, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? Well, we'll talk about that. Because the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. How does the gospel reveal the righteousness of God? And that's the question that Paul answers throughout the rest of this letter. He expands and explains this theme. And what we see is the gospel in Romans. Martin Luther said, the Romans is the purest gospel. And that's what we find. Following the theme in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, Paul begins by establishing our need for the gospel. Whenever whenever I'm asked, uh, hey, do you want the good news or the bad news first? I always choose the... Bad news. Got to hear the bad news first, right? Because you've got to save it. And hopefully the good news will, will help uh, the pain of the bad news. Now, now, Romans is about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But before the good news makes any sense, before you have to hear about what's the good news, you have to hear the bad news first. And the bad news begins right away, right after verse, right after the theme, right after verse 17, verse 18. Bad news. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Bad news. Paul makes it clear that the ungodly, the unrighteous, have a a, a major problem. They will experience the wrath, the judgment of God. They will be judged because of their sin. And you might say, uh, a bummer. Bad news for the ungodly and unrighteous. But then, in Romans chapter 1, 19, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul shows that everyone, both Jew and Gentile, you and me, are part of this group, ungodly, unrighteous. And therefore, we are all subject to the wrath of God. Bottom line, we all have a major problem. Paul, Paul's sad conclusion is found in Romans 3.9. He says, for, so this is after going, we're obviously not going to read through all this, after going through and showing how both Jews and Gentiles are, are, are uh, depraved, are sinful. He says, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. Everyone is under sin. Therefore, in uh, verse 19, chapter 3, he writes, every mouth shall be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So we're all sinners, and we're all held accountable to God. We're all will be judged by God. We're all subject to the wrath of God for our sin. And in 3.20, he makes it clear that, that this problem is even greater than you might think. Because we can never save or justify ourselves. We have no hope. For by works, for the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We're sinners We're ungodly, unrighteous. We're under God's just and holy wrath. And we cannot save or justify ourselves by our own works. 
by following the law, by following any set of rules. Romans 3.23, familiar verse, makes it ever so clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person who's ever lived has sinned, is a sinner. And in, in so doing, uh, we, they, we, they, we have fallen short of God's glory. We're created to be, and back to Genesis 1, created to be in relationship with God. We're created to glorify God, but because of our sin, we're unable to accomplish that. We can't do it. We can't be in relationship with God, therefore we can't glorify God. Because of our sin, we, we, we can't be in relationship with the Holy God. We fall short. We miss the mark. And therefore, we're under the wrath of God, and there's nothing we can do about it. It's like being asked to, uh, to, to, to jump the Grand Canyon. No matter how hard you train, no matter how hard you try, it's all going to end the sin, same way. Always going to end the sin, same way. Splat. It's impossible. Same way. We can't be in relationship with the Holy God. We can't bring God glory. We can't overcome our own sin. No matter how hard we try, no matter how uh, much willpower we have, it's not possible. So Paul first establishes, this is his argument in, in those first three chapters, he establishes that we on our own, no hope of escaping the wrath of God that was introduced and talked about throughout those chapters. But he doesn't leave us there. He goes on, second half of chapter 3 into chapter 4, to explain that we have all, what we've already stated, what he, state, he stated in his theme, he, now he, then he goes with our need, and now he goes back to the theme, really. No one on our own, no not on our own, in our own sinful self, we have no hope of salvation, but there's hope for those who put our faith in the gospel. Paul had said, verse 16, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Salvation comes to those who believe. Why? For it is in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, beginning in chapter 3, verse 21, Paul explains and he expands upon this theme. He says, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifest. It's, it's here. It's come. Apart from the law. Nothing to do with the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In the past, the only way people were seeking to uh, achieve righteousness was by keeping the law. But, in chapters 1-3, through three, Paul has made the, the clear argument, stated that, that no one can be righteous through the law. The law and the prophets can only bear witness to righteousness. They can't provide righteousness. And, and righteousness means right standing before God, uh, where you're able to be before God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest, clearly seen apart from the law. Where is the righteousness of God manifest apart from the law? Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God is revealed, it's made manifest, it's, it's real, it's here, through faith in Jesus Christ. God's righteousness is revealed, seen, revealed to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who put their faith in Jesus receive from God His righteousness. 
We are made righteous right before God through Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the gospel. And this is what we call a theological term, justification. Paul says in verse 24 that sinners who trust in Christ are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We who put our faith in, in, in Christ are justified. We're made just. We're, we're right before God by His grace. It's a gift based on the finished, redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And how does this take place? How is this possible? How is it possible for a holy God to justify sinners? Verse 25, Romans chapter 3. God put Christ forward as a, here's another one of those words, propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. This word propitiation means, means an atoning sacrifice. It's a, it's a sacrifice. Picture the lamb. Uh, remember John the Baptist seeing Jesus said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Atoning sacrifice. God put forward His Son as the atoning sacrifice. Jesus on the cross died. He shed His blood in our place so that the Father's wrath would be on Him and not on us, those who put our faith in Him. God places our sin on Christ and Christ's righteousness on us. In Christ, we are seen and treated as, by God as righteous. Now our tendency... And that's the gospel. That's really the heart of the gospel. But our tendency is to think we have to do something to earn this thing, to earn this righteousness, to be right before God. I have to do something. And in verse 28, Paul makes clear that this justification, this being made right before God is not of, uh, by works, not by anything we do, but by faith. Verse 28. For we hold that no, that one, no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We are justified not by our works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Justification by faith alone, again, the heart of the gospel. And so Paul gives an example. He goes on to give an example, because this needs to be clear. We, we so often think, What's our part? What do I have to do? Okay, I, I got it. Jesus died, but I got to add something. It's, it's, we think it's Jesus' death plus my works. Jesus' death plus what I do. And Paul goes on to give this example. And so Paul gives an example of justification by faith alone. And he goes all the way back. He goes back to the, to the first uh, Jew, so to speak. The first Jewish person where God chose him. He goes all the way back to Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3, he quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The Old Testament saint, the father of the Jews, Abraham, was justified, made right, became righteous before God, not through his works, but because he believed God. He trusted God. He trusted in the promise of God. In faith, he trusted in the, the, if I can, the blurry gospel. The not yet fully revealed, but whatever God had said to him, he trusted in that. Not works, but faith alone justifies the sinner. This is good news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rejoice! But this is not the end of the gospel. A lot of times we stop there. Okay, 
got it, Jesus saved me, you know, through Christ I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, good to go. This is not the end of the gospel. This is not, uh, this is the, this is the, maybe the crux, maybe the, maybe the heart, but it's not the end. It's really just the beginning. This is when real life begins, people. This is uh, when we, when we can come and experience the gospel. So that's our third point, our experience of the gospel. So in, in chapter, uh, in chapters one and through three-ish, our need for the gospel. End of chapter three, Here's the gospel, faith in Christ, not works. Chapter 4, an example, Abraham, justified by faith, not works. Now chapter 5 through 8 is this beautiful picture of what takes place in the life of those. It's talking about those who've trusted in Christ. Those who've received the gospel. Those who by the power of of the gospel have been saved. Those who are no longer under the wrath of God. And, 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 it, and it gives a look at what the life of a justified believer experiences. And it's good news. So follow along. Five, six, seven, eight, four chapters. You guys ready? Hang on to your hats here. Uh, follow along. Because we're just going to touch the surface. We're like, we're like skimming on the... We're, like, we're not walking on water because we can't do that. But we're just walking on the surface here. As we see the experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ, again, my hope is that, that this will drive you to this, this passage for yourself. This is kind of like a trailer of a movie, you know? If, if this, I, I pray this is going to make you want to go see, not the movie, but read these chapters, okay? So this is what we experience uh, as believers. We experience first peace with God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, this is for those who are justified. We have peace with God. Uh, we talked about this, this reconciliation with God. We're in relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Peace with God. You're not under the wrath of God. Next, we experience joy in suffering. Really? Romans 5.3, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Because of the gospel, we can have a, a different response. Remember we talked about that different response to death? We can also have a different response to suffering. We can rejoice in our suffering. It produces endurance and it goes on from there. There's hope and there's other things it produces. We experience salvation from God's wrath. Remember back to 118, under the wrath of God, Romans 5.9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved Saved by Him from the wrath of God. We're justified and we're saved from the wrath. No longer under the wrath of God. Now we're under the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Because of the blood of Christ, we're saved from His wrath. Then in chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, Paul does this comparison. Uh, He compares Adam, first man, whose disobedience in the garden brought about sin and death. And he compares Adam with Christ, whose obedience brings about righteousness and life. And he says, we experience the righteousness of Christ. Romans 5.19 For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We're made righteous. I mean, think about that. I mean, start rejoicing. You're made righteous before God in Christ. Adam's sin and condemnation were given to us 
because we're united to Him by birth. So Christ's obedience and righteousness were given to us because we're united to Him by faith. Then we experience newness of life. Romans 6.4 We were buried, therefore, uh, with Him by baptism into death. We're identifying with Christ in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might experience new life. Christ was raised, therefore we will be raised. We'll walk in new, new life. New, it's different. We're new creatures in Christ. And part of our new life is we experience freedom from sin. Romans 6.6 6. We know that our old self... The Romans uh, 1, 2, and 3 self was now crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Our faith unites us to Christ in a real way so that we actually experience death to sin and deliverance from its slavery. We no longer have to sin before the gospel, before trusting in Christ. We had no power to not sin. Now in Christ, we're free from sin. And we experience sanctification. Romans 6.22 But now that you have been set free from sin and have been become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. Sanctification, uh, being set apart. It's that, it's that idea of being, tr- the process of being, tr- just so uh, we're clear, this, this, this word helps us with this. This all we're talking about doesn't, okay, we, we pray, we ask, we believe, we trust in Christ. It's not a, all of this stuff just falls upon us and we're, uh, you wake up and go, whoa, it's all, it's a process. And this word sanctification talks about is this process of growing in your relationship with Christ, of becoming more. All these things, uh, we grow in our freedom from sin. We grow in our trusting. We grow in our uh, relationship with God. Trusting in the gospel it doesn't only lead us to eternal life. It's not just believe in the gospel, live as I want, get to go to heaven. It leads to a transformed life here on earth. We're being transformed, sanctified, set apart by God. Paul then in chapter 7 uh, describes a life that, is, uh, that maybe many of us have experienced, maybe some of us still are experiencing. It's, a, it's really at war with sin. Struggling to overcome sin. Trying and failing. Doing what you don't want to do. Famous Verse in that, I, I, I do what I don't want to do. There's this, uh, just this struggle going on. But because of the gospel, there's victory. We experience deliverance from sin. Romans, the end there. Romans 7, 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, this struggle with sin, this, this failure? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those who put their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ can experience deliverance from this struggle with sin. We not only get uh, declared righteous when we trust in Christ, we then can be becoming righteous as God changes us and delivers us from sin. Then and, and then, and now, we come to... So that was the end of chapter 7. Now we're coming to what many feel is the greatest chapter in the greatest letter. And here are just some of the incredible things 
we experience when we trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, recorded in Romans chapter 8. We experience no condemnation in Christ. Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Boom. Christ takes on our sin. We take on Christ's righteousness. Therefore, no con- because in, we are in Christ. There's no condemnation for Christ. Therefore, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we experience life in the Spirit. Verse 5, chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Formerly, we lived uh, according to the flesh. But through the gospel, we're enabled we're to live according to the Spirit. The gospel of Jesus Christ releases us to live in a new way. We're, as we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, as we focus on the things of the Lord, the Spirit of God transforms and directs our lives. We're directed for His purposes, for His good purposes in our lives. And we experience adoption by God. Verse 15, Romans chapter 8. We've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Many have translated that. The good news is that when we trust in Christ, God becomes our Father and we can cry out to Him anytime, any place, and He will meet our needs. He'll be there for us. We, we experience, the, the next thing, we experience only good from God. Romans 8.28, famous promise. And we know that those who love, the, love God, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those who love God, called according to His purpose, those who've trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's who we're talking about. All things, whether they seem good or bad to you at the time, all things work together for your ultimate good. I feel like uh, most of these deserve a whole other sermon after them, but we're just getting that. This is the, just the trailer. This is the overview. You can go into them, and, I, and I'm, uh, oh, I'm not even going to say that. Okay, uh, moving on. M. I've never had this many points under a point before. M. We experience being like Christ. 29, Romans 8. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined. It was uh, before the foundations of the world. This was uh, in God's heart and mind. He foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. We experience being conformed to the image of Christ. The good news is, when you trust in Christ, you be, be becoming like Christ. It's a process, but you're on this road to being more and more like Christ. And we experience the favor of God. Romans 8, 31, 32. If God is for us, it's just, that's a sta- God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Uh, the logic here is God gave us Jesus, demonstrating that we will receive God's favor in all things. If God gives you Jesus, what is He going to withhold from you? God is on our side. God is on the side of those who trust in Him. And finally, the greatest uh, experience of all, 
We experience the secure, and I added in there too, it's not on the, in your notes, but the secure, everlasting love of God. Romans 5, 35-39. If you want to start somewhere with memorizing a portion of Scripture, this would be a good place to start. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are all being killed all day long. We are, all, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. To be forever secure in the love of God through Jesus Christ. To never be, uh, for any reason or by any person, separated from the love of God. This, along with everything else that we've just seen, is what it looks like to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good experience? Okay. So that's an overview of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 through 8. Our need for the gospel, our faith in the gospel, and our experience of the gospel. And even, even though we're stopping here in a minute, Chapter 8, Paul doesn't stop. He continues on. So I want to just give you quickly. Romans uh, chapters 9 through 11, he explains God's sovereignty in the gospel. That God is in control of all of, all of this. And there's some questions that come up about, about the Jews and all that stuff. And, and that's what 9 through 11 is sort of devoted to. And then in chapters 12 through 16, he explains how we live some practical living application for those who've received the gospel of Jesus Christ, for those who've trusted in the gospel. All 16 chapters, good stuff, focusing on the gospel. And it's my prayer that this quick uh, sort of dip of our toe even in this book has inspired and motivated some of you to, as Martin Luther said, occupy yourself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. But this morning, I do want to leave you with an application. Just, just well, not just one. It's going to be four. I'm not going to lie to you. As you reflect on this profound explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would call you uh, to rest in the gospel. To rest in the gospel. And by rest, I don't mean uh, take your Bibles home with you and use it as a pillow uh, for your nap this afternoon. That was a joke. Ah, man, I know, jokes at the end of the message, people are going, oh, come on, man. Uh, so that's not what I mean, taking your Bible home. But where am I in my notes? Okay, here we go. By rest, I mean four things, four applications. First, you must trust in the gospel. You must uh, see your need and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believing in the power of the gospel. And by the, the gospel, not the words, but what it actually is. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus is. What Jesus did to save your soul. Putting your faith in Jesus as your, uh, remember this word, propitiation. 
your atoning sacrifice. Picture Jesus on the cross, shedding His blood for you, sacrificing His life for you, trusting that in Christ, God's righteousness is revealed to you. That you've been justified, not by your works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So first, trust in the Gospel. And if you haven't done that, you can do that today. Maybe you can do that, I mean, I'm not, it's not, you don't need to pray a prayer, you, don't, you can pray a prayer, but it's trusting in God. It's saying, Lord, your head, your mouth, whatever, Lord, I'm trusting in you, I'm giving my life to you, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ to save me from the wrath of God, to save me from my own sin. So first, trust in the gospel. Second, rejoice in the gospel. I shouldn't have to say this. This should come natural. After that uh, long list of stuff that we get, experiencing the gospel, we should be jumping for joy. Joy is the theme, was the, was the theme, is the theme of our advent, but it should be the theme of our, our life because we've been saved from our sins. We've been saved from our sins, uh, not only we've been saved to experience uh, newness in life, and we've been saved to eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice, even in times of sorrow. The gospel means we can rejoice that one day all pain and suffering will cease. That one day we'll be in the presence of our Heavenly Father for all eternity. As I was reading through this, even this morning, I, I, I thought of Bobby, who was sitting behind me. I thought of uh, being there when uh, Charlie, her husband, passed away. I, th- I, I was thinking of sorrowful rejoicing was the picture that took place in Charlie's hospital room when he went to be with the Lord, knowing that Charlie was saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So second, rejoice in the gospel, even in difficulties, even in death. Third, Experience the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is is not just for eternity, it's for now. For those who trust in Jesus, He enters our lives and He brings with Him this new experience. An experience that involves a new life in Him, new life in Christ. An experience that includes, you know, I don't want to go through it again, but peace and joy and righteousness and freedom and sanctification, adoption, favor, Eternal, everlasting love. These things and more God offers to those who put their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you've trusted in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, if you say, yes, if you would say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I've trusted Him, but you're not experiencing these things, uh, again, it's not like poof, it's magic, it happens all the way. It's a process, it's a growing process, but if you feel like, man, I, I, I need more of this in my life, if these seem distant and unattainable as, a, as opposed to things you're growing in, I just encourage you in two ways. First, go to God in prayer. God's the only one that can give you this experience. Read and pray through Romans 8. Asking God as you read through this, oh, this, does, this, this doesn't seem like it's happening in my life. Lord, can you, can you help me with this? Lord, I'm, I'm asking you, for this. I want to experience this uh, deliverance from sin. I want to experience this newness of life in the Spirit. Pray. Ask God. And second, go, go to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe those that you would uh, think are experiencing these things. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them for, for counsel, for help. I mean, we're in this together. 
That's a, a lot of what the practical application in Romans 12 through 16 talks about. Okay, this is the, this is the body of Christ. This is, that we're, people are gifted in different ways. There's all kinds of stuff in there to, to help us. Even today, myself, an elder, others in the body are available to meet with you, to pray with you after the service. Begin to experience, that you might begin to experience uh, the Gospel in your life. So third, experience the Gospel. And finally, fourth, don't put it up. Any guesses? Oh, you guys are so smart. I'm so glad you come to my church. Uh, All right. I mean, it's not my church. It's our church. But anyway, you know what I mean. Share the Gospel. Boom. I can see it back there too. That's great. Uh, this message of salvation, this message that, that there's new life, this message that you can be a new creature in Christ, this is the message that we're called to share with the world around us. That's our mandate. That's our mission. And that should be our joy. If you're experiencing the Gospel, if you're experiencing these, these, this peace and this joy and this love, if you're experiencing deliverance from sin, if you're experiencing the favor of God, if you're, if you're, if you're knowing that, uh, okay, this is a bad thing happening, but I ultimately God is going to work it out for my good. If that's your experience, then you can't help. Then you want to share it with others. It should be our joy to share the gospel message with those in our world. And it's my prayer as we close here this morning that we at Bridges would be like uh, the Apostle Paul. That we would make it our ambition to preach, to share the gospel. For we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. That it's the, uh, the centerpiece, the crux, the culmination. It's, it's where history points and, and it's where we receive new life. It's where we receive forgiveness. It's where we avoid your wrath, Lord. It's all of those things. It's amazing. Lord, and I pray for myself. I pray for those here that we would trust in it. We would give ourselves to it. Lord, we rejoice in it. Lord, I pray that we would even now begin to experience in it and, and that, that longing, that thirst to know the gospel, experience the gospel, Lord, would drive us to your word, would drive us to you. Lord, and I pray for, again, myself, for my brothers and sisters here, that we would be a people who are willing to share the gospel with those in our world. That we would, uh, that we would give it out. That we would give this free gift that we receive from the Lord, we would be willing to share it with others. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.